Good morning, Olive Branch. Oh, that sounded great. I'd like to hear that again. Good morning, Olive Branch. It is an honor and a privilege to be here in front of you this morning. I'm so glad to be able to have this opportunity. Um, today we are continuing in our book of John here, John chapter 4. Some of you are like, oh, wait a minute, that sounds familiar. How many people were here last week? We are going to do John chapter 4. We stopped at 24, but, these, but our focus last week was on worship. And I want to continue on to 42 this morning. We're going to go through some familiar sections. Don't get lost. If you're filling the blanks, you're going to hate me this morning. Because for some reason, I just feel like I need to focus closer on the text than I do on some of the stuff on the screens. So today, I would like to encourage you to just grab a Bible in the seat in front of you. Pull that out if you use an app. Turn to the book of John, chapter 4, and we'll get started in there. Before we do, let's go ahead and just pray real quick here. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much, God, for another day that we're not promised, God. For the things that you want to do with our lives, Lord, with the remaining time that we have, God. For the things that we're able to do as a church, for this community, for the people around us, God. We thank you so much, God. And this morning, I just pray if we go through one thing, if we have one challenge that we accept, if there's one thing that we wrestle with with you this morning, God, it is opening up our heart to the people that you put in our midst so that we develop a love for the lost. So Lord, as we impact your scripture, as we watch God, your son's example to how he interacts with people, I pray that that encourages us, God, to continue on and to engage people, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. So, yes, we are going to go through this familiar, so don't get lost. We're, for those of you who are um, using the seats in front of you, we are on page 888, which is John 4. We're going to go through 1 through 42. I'm going to go through this text really quick. You should be familiar with it, so um, if you were here last week, you'll be a bit of a refresher, but we're going to go on to the last half. But the difference is, is there's a paradigm shift. Last time, we talked about kind of the heart of worship. So, like worship... Um, last week we found out that worship has like this component that if the more grateful we are, the more we want to worship God. And so Greg looked at this text really quickly and he went through the text and he showed us like those moments where we develop a heart of gratitude to worship God. And what's really weird is it's really hard in that sense to then pivot and go, well, what is the actual, when you look at this text, what does it say about reaching other people? Well, guess what? The same thing is true. Like worship, a true heart for sharing the gospel comes from a gratitude for what God has done for us. So if we're grateful for God, for He's our Lord, we're going to raise our hands. We're going to praise Him on Sunday mornings. We're thankful for all the things that He's done through us throughout the week. We're coming together as a family and a body. We're celebrating the love of Christ. That propels us forward because of what Christ did for us. Guess what? That's the same way we worship God by how we interact with other people when we develop a a love for the lost and those people around us. But sometimes with church, we use these words and we use these phrases a lot, like, oh, the praising God and worshiping God, and we think of it as music. And we also sometimes praise, we think of evangelism or outreach or whatever your favorite way to call it, just simply sharing the gospel with other people. We say gospel so much that sometimes it kind of gets like familiar to us, and we just say, oh, that's the program, right? That's the program that I add. Uh, we have a worship program. We have a missions pastor. We just give him the responsibility, and poof, it's all done responsibility over, or I just need to participate with that. And really what I want to challenge us with is for those of us who've been in the church for a long time, I want to challenge us in this particular passage to really grasp what is my individual responsibility to reaching people and just loving those around us. So yes, we are going to go through similar portions of this passage, but what we're looking for like a detective in this passage is really to see how Jesus interacts with people that he's involved with and the people that that God the Father places in his path. And so that's what I want to do. How many people are familiar with the phrase paradigm shift? 
paradigm shift is this thing where you, get a, you kind of pivot and you go in a different direction and you see the same thing that you've seen before, but you see it in a new light. It, it got popular by a guy named Stephen Covey, what, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. And he tells this story about how he first had one of these early encounters with a paradigm shift. He's sitting on a subway in New York and everybody's relaxed and reading the papers. It's just one of those rare moments where nothing crazy is going on. Some people are reading novels. It's just a nice passage through and he's sitting there and then the doors open and then these little holy terrors start running around and they're just disruptive and everything and they're just like rude and they're grabbing newspapers out of people's hands and they're throwing them and they're hitting people's books and they're yelling and screaming and the father he does something very interesting he just closes his eyes and goes like this And, and time is going on, and everybody is really irate, and Covey is sitting there going, oh, maybe we should say something, and no one wants to say something. And he feels, you know what? We need to say something to this guy. We need to be aware of the people around us. Perhaps he was concerned maybe for the safety. You know, we need to, to engage people. So what does he do? He tells the guy, sir, your kids are kind of unruly. You know, you might want to take, take control of your kids. And, and, the, and the guy goes, oh, whoa. And he kind of wakes up, and he stumbles out of his haze, and he goes, Oh, yeah, you're right. I probably should do something. And I know they're reacting weird, but you see, an hour ago, I went to the hospital and their mother died. And I guess this is just their way of, of trying to deal with that. And I just didn't know what to do. So I, I just feel overwhelmed. And Cubby felt like a, a pile of potatoes at that point. At first, he's worried he's an avenger for peace and harmony and tranquility on a train for everybody who enjoy life. And this annoying family comes along. But then he realizes that they just went through a tragedy and it changes his entire outlook on how to look at the people that are in his life. And so this morning, I want to look at this text and do that same thing, that even a better example of how people interact with people and how we open up our heart to the people in our circle is to watch what Jesus does when he talks to this woman at the well. So let's go in, let's dive into the text. And so if you have your Bibles and you're on that page 888, now some of these verses I might read a little more, I might read a little less, don't get lost, just follow in your Bible. That'll be your best bet for this morning. So let's go. Um, verse 5 and 6, the scene that Greg set up last week is that Jesus is going on a long journey, his disciples are there. And so in verse 6, uh, he comes to the well and he's wearied and he was, he was for his long journey and he sat beside the well and about the sixth hour, a woman from Samaria came down to draw water and Jesus said to her, give me a drink. So you remember last week when we talked about that, he sat at the well and he gives me a drink. And it's interesting how Jesus is the Son of God, and he could come with a huge glory and power, and he could have trumpets and angels could fly, and he could say, I'm Jesus, ha-ha, look at me, you should worship me. But he doesn't do that. He's weary and he's tired, he's on a long journey, and he's just, as a human being, he's just sitting there and he's just like, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink? He doesn't beat her over the head. He's just in his environment. He's, it's okay to be weary. God is a God who, our, our Christ is a familiar with weariness. And his first encounter is just to have an honest moment and an honest interaction with another person. It's that time when you're with people and you're in that circle and you're waiting in line. You're like, wow, this is a long line. Yeah. And you're just willing to engage them. And so that's what it takes. I think it takes for us to realize that we just need to be aware that God is always sending people into our lives. They're always around. And just to take advantage of those honest moments and those honest interactions with other people. But it goes on. After he asked for a drink, he said, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. In verse 7, verse 8, the Samaritan woman said to him, well, how is it that you, a Jew, 
Ask me for a drink from, I'm a Samaritan woman. For Jews had no dealings with Samaritans. As we talked about last week, these were two people on two different sides of the track. Those are those people. And we Jews don't interact with those people because those people are different than us and we don't like them. And the Samaritans are like, oh yeah, you don't like us? Well, we don't like you either. And so it's that, oh, I don't like that culture. Oh, that culture really gets on my nerves. And Jesus just walks right in. And you know what he's willing to do? He's willing to have an awkward moment. So one of the things about us is that oftentimes we want peace, we want tranquility, we don't want to get into it with anybody. But, we, but we, if we're going to be honest and we're going to have honest interactions, when people encounter us, it's okay to have awkward moments. It's okay. It's like, ooh, this is not feeling well. This is, feels icky. And there's no way to avoid those if you want to engage in the gospel. There is no way to avoid those in your life. And so the strategy here is that Jesus is willing to have an awkward conversation and take an awkward moment. I know that these are really weird. I don't know how many people are like, uh, like me, but I notice the more I work for the church, the more I feel like these awkward moments come up sometimes, and it's really difficult even for me to get through them because I'm one of those people that just likes to... I'm more of an introvert. I, I have to really struggle, just like all of us, and just like this text is encouraging me to just talk to the people around me. I just want to have a moment. So it's weird when I, I started working for the church, and I would get in these weird, uncomfortable encounters. When you have a job, people usually ask you, what do you do? And you say, oh, I work construction, whatever. But I, I found out it was an, uh, my awkward moment when I just went to get a haircut. So I'm sitting in the chair, and the lady's like, so how was your week? Oh, it's been good. Yeah, my week is great. I went out all night. I partied. I had drunk. I went out with my girlfriends, and we just got hammered, and it was awesome. And we danced all night, and we got home about four o'clock. So what do you do for a living? <laughs> uh, I work production in the bathroom somewhere and stuff. It's an awkward. I'm like, well, I work at a church. Oh, now like the conversation just comes to a complete and utter halt. And it's like, I've struggled through it, just like all of us. This is the same moment here. Jesus is willing to have this awkward moment. And, and that is something that we have to get comfortable with. And we do struggle with. So I get it. At some point in your life, though, if you have honest moments with people, you'll have honest interactions with them. They're just going to come up. The thing is, some of us, we don't like awkward moments. So we want to coexist with everybody. So we kind of don't talk about the truth. But then there are other of us who really like the awkwardness. We really like, oh, this is like a battle. I enjoy this so much. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to beat some people. We're at war negotiations. You're going to hell and we're going to fight for it. They're comfortable with this kind of interaction of awkwardness. And sometimes it's okay to be comfortable getting into awkward situations and feeling confidence. And sometimes it's okay to worry about concerns and peace and all this. The question is, what is our motivation and our mindset when we get into these conversations? Because I think it's okay to be zealous for the faith. And I think it's okay to want to, have a to talk about people and have interactions with them. But sometimes I wonder, when we decide to engage people, whether we're doing it for sake of pride to dominate the conversation or to express the truth about a relationship and bringing people to Christ. You see, like I said, one of two things. We, we often decide to engage with others. We sometimes tend to dominate the argument for the sake of pride, to show them what the truth is. Or for the sake of the truth, we kind of co just want to coexist and avoid the truth. And it can be really frustrating sometimes when you see people like, I want them to know Jesus and I want them to turn them right in the face. You need to be in church, Jesus. You're like, okay, that's weird. And you wonder what, how that approach happens. 
And it reminds me, like, well, what is the mindset when we get involved with people? Even though some things irk us, how do we get involved we still love? And it reminds me of a game that I used to play when I was in youth group. I don't know if any of you play. It's called, Go- I'm going on a trip and I'm going to take. Anybody played that game? Some of you played that game. Uh, in, I'm going on a trip and I'm going to take. You get a group of people around and you're sitting in a circle. And you say, I say, I started, I start this particular game. And I say, I'm going to go on a trip and I'm going to take a stereo and I can go. What are you going to take? And you have to start the step, and he goes, I'm going on a trip, and I'm going to take a microwave. Nope, you can't go. And the next person, you can't go. You can't go. You can't go. And then when someone says, oh, I'm taking, Mary's taking, uh, she's, she's taking uh, marine biology, and she could go. Wait, what? That's weird. I don't understand what's going on in this game. And what it is is you're trying to figure out the clue. You're trying to figure out why can people go on a trip and why can't. So my name is Steven in this particular scenario. So I took a stereo. You just take the thing that your name starts with, and you can go on the trip. Everyone else has got to struggle through it. Sometimes to get the game going, though, you would, add, you would want to tell other people the pattern so that they can get the game going so you're not the only one going around the circle. So I'd go up to a person, and I'd be like, guess what? Like, just use the first letter of your name and bring something that starts with the first letter of your name, and you'll be able to go on a trip. Okay. So we're playing a game, and it goes around to them, and they're like, well, my name is Bob, and I can take a boat. And you could go. And the other guy's like, oh, okay. And Bob, you can go on the trip. How about you? My name is John, and I can take a kite. No, you can't go. You're so stupid. You don't get it. What's wrong with you? And youth group would harass people. And you see, like, the holy terror of the guy who was given the answer and is lording it over everybody with joy. It's just something in him is like, oh, you're so dumb. And I have to, like, go up to him and, like, look, I gave you the answer. You didn't have to go through all this wrestling and you're hurting other people and getting mad at them? And that's often sometimes what we do when we have the truth. We forget, well, wait a minute, God gave me the answer. So when I get into arguments about the truth, I wouldn't know anything apart from God. And to go into that with a humble realization, I'm not trying to win this person and conquer them. I'm trying to get them into a conversation with God so that at some aspect of their life, they can grow closer to Him. That's the goal. That's the challenge, not to be like, ha, 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 I have the answer, you're stupid. And so just keep that in mind, because oftentimes when I go online, I often wonder, what is the goal of what we are doing in social media? What are we trying to win people to? And you see all these debates about different things, and, and you see Jesus willing to engage in cultures that are different from his own. He's willing to cross that bridge. Yeah, he talks about the situation. He talks about the Samaritan and the Jew, and he talks about those situations. But he's willing to have that conversation. And, he, and in his conversation, he's always drawing them back to himself. So the question I have is, is are we being polarized with the conversations that we have for the sake of the gospel, because we're trying to bring people to the gospel? Or are we so preoccupied with some of our political and cultural conversations that we compromise the very essence of being able to talk to another person about Jesus Christ. Because if we convert people to conservatism, we convert them to liberalism, but they don't go to heaven, what's the point? If they come to the Lord because we're more concerned about sharing the faith with someone, and yeah, we may have a cultural conversation, but we're drawing them closer to the Lord, how much easier it is for them to have a paradigm shift in a worldview when they understand the true purpose and meaning of life. They're able to talk about things like justice because they know what justice is because they got it defined from them from the Lord. They know what it is to be safe or have peace or to respect people because they got it within the Lord. When we win people to Christ, a lot of these things can be worked out. 
And so sometimes in our, on our means to be right, I think sometimes we're more concerned about convincing people to our politics than we are to our faith. And so to keep that in mind when we wrestle through. Let's go back to the text here in verse 10 and just kind of focus in on this thing that keeps coming up. Thirst, thirsty, thirst. Now I've got to take a drink. In verse 10, Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift I gave you and who it was that was saying this to you, give me a drink. You would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Jump to verse 13. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give from him will never thirst again. And in verse 15, she says, Sir, give me this water so that I may not be thirsty. I have to come and draw this water from the well. And then Jesus does something very interesting, like we talked about last week. He points out her sins. Jesus said to her, Go, get your husband. Have him come here. I have no husband, sir. You're right to say that I have no husband, for you have five husbands, and the one you're with now is not your husband. What have you said? What you have said is true. And so we look at this passage, we see what does this start with? Thirst. She's thirsty. She's coming to a well. I'm thirsty. And she's like, I just want this living water, God. You're offering living water. He's saying, I'm offering you living water in this gift. And it's easy to go like, what is the heart of the reason why we interact with people? And when we look at people, do we notice that they thirst? And it doesn't matter whether you're a Christian or not. If you're not a Christian, you're thirsting for the the fulfillment. And when you get God, you still end up sometimes thirsting when we get out of perspective. See, all of us strive for things in life. We want relationships. We want to be in, like in this woman, she was trying to fulfill some need that she got from men. There are others of us trying to fill this need that we need to be, to conquer and get involved with work or to, to be prosperous or to raise kids. And we're going through all these things and we're thirsting. I just, I just want a little more. I just want a little more. And we all thirst, but it never seems to satisfy. And we need to be familiar with that because if we don't understand that we thirst, it's hard to see it when we don't pay attention to those and others. And it's easy to be critical. Oh my gosh, they're really thirsty and they just don't even see it. But we all thirst. We all substitute things in place of God who ultimately came to have a relationship with us. And so that should just keep us humble as we interact with others in their relationships. Jesus engages her with the truth. He tells her about herself. He tells her about the sin that's in her life. He does so to draw her to a relationship with him. And in verse 19, she goes on and she says, The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshiped on the mountain, but you say to him in Jerusalem is the place where we ought to worship. And she pivots the conversation to an interaction about theology. Later on, Jesus kind of corrects her and says, In the hours coming now where the worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father seeks such things to worship him. Last time we, worked on the, we talked about the worship him. But the other part I want to focus on is the seeking him. God is actively seeking out people, and he uses us to seek them out. Now, it's very common when the truth comes into our lives, as well as the lives of a non-saved person, where we want to pivot away from that focus because it's uncomfortable to find out that we have sin in our life. And we should be patient like Jesus is to kind of point out our sins, talk to her, and engage her. He's willing to have engage her with the truth. But he brings her back to a relationship with him. See, when we get in these situations, we often wonder, do we pivot away from God? Or do we try to justify or downplay? Or do we press into Jesus? And this is the thing that we all wrestle with in our daily lives. And it's no different with unsaved people. And so Jesus is wanting us to engage the people around us. He's wanting us to get involved. 
And so let's look at the text again here in verse 25 through 30. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, and who, he was called the Christ. And he comes, he will tell us all things. And Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Here's the clearest point in the Bible where Jesus declares that he is the Messiah. Right here. For those of you who people ask, he's like, I, I hear the Messiah is coming, and he will tell us all things. Jesus makes a proclamation that he is that person. So then the disciples come back, and they're carrying their groceries, and they, oh, Jesus, what is he doing? He's hanging out with that person. And you see, they, they say something really interesting in verse 27. What do you seek? As if they're pointing to the woman. And they should talk to Jesus. Why are you talking to her? But they don't tell him anything. They don't come up and they don't resolve that conflict. But the woman leaves her water jar and went away into the town to tell people, come see the man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? And the town came out and everybody was wanting to talk to Jesus. She, why did she, what a change. She, she left her jar there. Here before she was worried about her daily struggle, the things that she was going with, the interactions she was having, daily having to come constantly to, to meet this need, knowing that it's a part of her character. And yet she leaves her jar there and just runs away to tell other people about Jesus. What happened in this text? What is it about that? Because right before Jesus says, I am he, I'm the Messiah, and something changes in her. And she's got to tell everybody. What is it about that? What was the encounter that made her change and want to drop everything she was concerned about and go tell other people? It was the fact that Jesus, the Son of God, came and talked to her. Imagine if the president came to your house after you were a criminal, and he just wanted to talk to you and give you a gift. He knocks on the door, here's a gift, I just want to let you know. Wouldn't you be like, oh my gosh, I don't think I deserve this, this feels very uncomfortable. But if he gave you something and you went out, wouldn't you want to share? I just had this visit. Now, the God, the Savior of the world, comes and he takes his entire course around this whole situation just to get involved with this person here. And he sees this situation. He's willing to have an honest relationship, willing to have an honest encounter. And even though she's an adulteress, she's rejected by her own people. She's rejected by the Jews. She's going through this thing and she's a sinner. Jesus still takes time to talk to her. That's why she's excited. Look at what a weird testimony. Come see the man that told me everything I ever did. I, I talked to a man who told me I was an adulterer. Isn't that great? She didn't say, look, look, I'm really cool, and, and now I know Jesus, and I'm a better person. No, she's like, I was a total sinner, and he still came to me, and he talked to me. Is this the Christ? And notice the contrast between what the disciples are doing. Jesus is telling people, and they're running around telling other people. The disciples are like, oh my gosh, I'm so hungry. Why is he, oh, I can't stand being in Samaria. Oh, man, I, what is Jesus doing? What is she doing? And sometimes that could be the focus here, that we just kind of sit and are polarized, just like the disciples. We're all disciples, and we sometimes can do this. We can say, like, I don't want to press into other people. Oh, this is so messy. You just see people fighting all the time. I just want to go home, take a nap. I don't want to engage people. It's so frustrating. And they do that. They're like, I don't want to have a conversation with this. What does this person want? What are they about? And we could get the answers. Like, we could just ask Jesus, what do you think about this situation, Jesus? I think you should love people. Oh, I don't want to ask that question either. Because that makes it difficult. Now I've got to press into God. And God's saying, yep, I do want you to have awkward moments. I want you to feel uncomfortable and still talk about God. And that's really where we wrestle. And so as the church, our challenge is here today is to really just focus in on what it is we are and where we are and what God has called us to do. Let's dive into the text of so verse 31 through 34. 
There's a time's going on. Jesus is hanging out. This person goes. She's calling people. People are coming out. They're coming to Jesus. And, and all because this lady decided to share some stuff with people. And Jesus says, meanwhile, meanwhile, the disciples were urging him and saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. And the disciples said to one another, I'm not really having a conversation with Jesus here. Has anyone bought him some, something to eat? Jesus said to them, my food is, in, is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say that yet four months and then comes the harvest? So look and tell you, lift up your eyes and see what the fields are, are white for the harvest. And Jesus is, could, has every right to be hungry. He had every right to be thirsty. And it never says in this text whether he ever got a drink or not. And here he knows, even if he did or didn't get a drink, he's, not, he's like, look, I'm not going to eat more about the food. I'm just focused on these people. And the disciples are like, oh, you need to eat. You need to take care of your needs first. You need to take care of yourself first. You need to be safe. And then you can talk to other people. Jesus, take care of your own. Jesus says, no, this is the reason I'm here. This is what fuels me. This is what gives me energy. Because this is the thing that has eternal significance. We need to seek things in life that have eternal significance. We can constantly go through life. We can make plans. We can set journeys. But if at no point we actually contemplate, how much does this matter when we stand before God and we enter eternity? And it may alter our jobs. It may alter our positions. It may alter our relationships. It may mean instead of doing the things we want to do for lunch, we go out with someone that's a little more difficult because we know, you know what, this is messy, but I think it'll be good. And I think maybe they need to be, to be able to hear the gospel. Because I know that has eternal significance. And yes, it's usually a struggle between goods, taking care of your own needs and taking care of the needs of others. But at some point, like Christ, we have to be willing to sacrifice in order to share our faith with other people. And that may mean sacrificing our time, our resources, and the things that we do. But Jesus is willing, and so we should be willing as well. Let's look into verse 35 and 38. Do you not say that there, yet there, there are four months and then the harvest? Look up, I tell you. Look at your eyes and see the fields are ripe with harvest. Already one reaps is receiving wages and gathers fruit for eternal life. So the sower and the reaper may rejoice together. Verse 38 says, I, went, I sent you to reap that which you did not labor. Others have labored and you have entered into their labor. Jesus said, like, we went to this town. My whole focus was to focus on what God had, the Father has sent me to do. I want to engage people and... They're over there trying to get food. And he's like, oh, look, pick your head up. Look, your eyes, there are people all around. They're everywhere. Engage them. Talk to them. Because you didn't, he went and talked to this woman, and she went and did it. Now they still are involved in the ministry together, but now they're, they're doing it like with a grumbling spirit, and he's just trying to get them. Pick up your eyes, look around. There's so much going on that God is doing, and he wants us to participate. What a joy and a privilege it is to be able to express what God has told us and see a life transformed and changed because we were willing to have a moment. What a humbling experience. And God's saying, I want you to rejoice in this. I want you to engage in other people. I have plans for you. I have things I want you to see. You'll see the world in a whole different perspective. And that's what he wants us, us as disciples to get. Yeah, I know you're hungry. Yeah, I know you're thirsty. I, I Christ, came to the earth. I was hungry and I was thirsty. But yet I sacrifice that because I know in the end it matters. And so we don't want to have regrets when it comes to sharing the gospel. We don't want to stand before God and, and hold the count like with the talents 
where God says, I gave you all these talents and abilities. I gave you resources. I gave you things to get involved with. What did you do with it for the sake of the kingdom? We don't want to have regrets. And that's what Jesus is encouraging us here today. So let's look at verse 39 through 42 and just kind of as we close, kind of focus in on what this passage is saying. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all that I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of this world, of his word. They said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said to, that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know that this is indeed the savior of the world. The text is going on here in verse 42. And it reiterates her testimony. A strange testimony about how she was a sinner. And, and, and that because Jesus was there and took time to talk to her, she just can't help but tell other people. She, I was an adulterer. And Jesus spoke to me. And she's excited and she wants to share the gospel with other people. And you're like, well, and it's hard sometimes if you've been in church and if you're like me and you've been saved for a long time and you're familiar with the things that are around us, it's easy sometimes we feel like, well, it's easy for you. You smoked crack for 15 years and now you're saved and so great, you have a great testimony. I, don't, I didn't do that. And it's easy to just take advantage of the things that we go through and the things that we've learned from God. And so how do we, as Christians who've been here a long time, have the heart of the Samaritan woman where we just are so overjoyed and overwhelmed that we can't continue to want to kind of share the gospel? How do we get that paradigm shift? What do we do? It's really easy. Just think for a minute. What would you be like if today you decided you don't want to be a Christian anymore and just walk away? What, what habits would we fall into? How long would it take? I think it'd take me like two, three weeks before I get into something stupid. Think about all the things that you learn from the people God put in your life, about how to love people, about how to have better relationships, about how to engage people, what's important in life. We have the word of God to guide us and all the benefit that has come because of God's word in our lives. What if I took that from you? Where would we be? We would be just like the Samaritan woman, struggling in sin, thirsting for things to fill us. But luckily, many of us have a testimony here. Our testimony really is that God is the God who he claims to be. And us, all of us, no matter what kind of sinner we are, we know intrinsically when we stand before God and we worship him, he points to our sins and we go into him and he still loves us more. And when we point out our sins and we still grow closer to God and he still loves us more, that we're excited and express that love, that it overflows and we want to communicate with other people. And that's really the challenge in our life this morning. It's to really kind of look at people that God placed in our lives. Now, this is scary. Trust me, I've been wrestling with this for a month. Uh, As an introvert, this isn't the funnest thing to do. But it's the most important thing that we can do. It's to engage other people in life. And so I just want to challenge you this morning. There's some questions in 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 your guide there that I want you to just take home. Take a moment and just ask God, am I doing everything? Am I aware of the people in my life? Now, I don't care if you necessarily read these questions or you, don't, or you just wrestle with what I'm saying right now, but at some moment in this week, challenge yourself in your relationship to God. God, is there someone I should just add? Is there someone already in my path? Is there someone I could express what it is that, God, you've done for me in my life? And to really wrestle with that this week. Will you bow your heads with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we are all here because your son had an encounter with each of us, God. Your son died on the cross, came all the way to earth, Father, so that he could show us the way to give us freedom, to give us life, 
to give us an opportunity so that we don't have to labor in vain. He gave us the thirst. Lord, he, he satisfied our thirst. He met our needs. And Lord, sometimes it's so easy for us as a church Lord, to just go through life, God, and just be like, I, just, I have so many worries and so many concerns. But I know, God, that when we trust in you, you give us strength that we don't understand. You give us courage to talk in those difficult situations. Or even if we blow it, God, that we're able to engage and pray and still go back and try again, God. Help us as a church to never stop loving you, God, to never let that die in us, God, because if we as a church don't share our faith, we're just going to shrink in number, God. But the greater our hearts are open to you, the greater we are and the greater you feel the numbers that come in, the people that come in, the lives that are changed and the impact that you've made. I pray, Lord God, if there's anyone here, God, and they're just on the fence and they're just, com- they're just a little too comfortable about life, God, that you engage them, God, that you hit them with the truth. You point out the error in their life so that they can repent and be free again. Let them experience the freedom of their salvation when we choose to love other people. Guide us this morning, God, and thank you for this opportunity, Lord, just to talk to you, to worship you, and to love you. In Jesus' name, amen.